money printing that exceeded any other episode in recorded human history. At length, the sweaty visage of Treasury Secretary Hank Paulson appeared on the TV screen yet again, this time announcing that Washington was writing a $13 billion check to bail out General Motors. That's where I lost it. I had spent the two decades since I left the White House on Wall Street in the leveraged buyout business, and at that moment I was laid up on the injured reserve list because of my own fiery mishap in Detroit. I had organized, financed, and partially owned a $4 billion auto parts supplier that I had imprudently loaded up with massive amounts of debt, and which had then been crushed by the bumbling corporate bureaucrats at GM and Chrysler, ahead of their own crash landing. As a consequence of my Detroit experience, I was in the midst of proving to a U.S. prosecutor that my company's bankruptcy was due to leverage and stupidity, mine, not fraud. But three years of fighting an indictment concentrates the mind, and by then I knew one thing for certain. The Detroit-based auto industry was a debt-enfeebled house of cards that had been a Wall Street playpen of deal-making and LBOs for years, including my own. It needed nothing so much as a cold bath of free-market house-cleaning, along with a drastic rollback of the preposterous $100,000-per-year cost of UAW jobs. Paulson's claim that the auto industry would disappear and that millions of jobs would be lost I knew to be laughable. My company had 40 North American plants, and I had traveled the length and breadth of the auto belt, and had seen dozens of worn-out, broken-down, UAW-controlled auto plants in the North that were redundant, and dozens of brand-new, efficient, state-of-the-art plants established by foreign automakers in the southern tier of states that could readily take up the slack. Absent the auto bailouts, there would have been no car shortage or loss of jobs, just a reallocation from the North to the South based on the rules of the free market. By the end of the Bush administration, it was starkly apparent that a Republican White House had wantonly trashed all the old-time fiscal rules, and it had been done by political neophytes, Hank Paulson and his posse of eager beaver Goldman bankers. But I had been at the center of the most intense fiscal battle of modern times during the early Reagan era, and had learned something they apparently hadn't that the Congress is made up of representatives from 435 mini-principalities and duchies, and they reason by precedent above all else. Once Wall Street, AIG, and GM were bailed out, the state would have no boundaries. The public purse would be fair game for all. I found this alarming in view of the long-ago Reagan-era battle of the budget that had ended in dismal failure. Notwithstanding decades of Republican speechmaking about Ronald Reagan's rebuke to big government, it never happened. In the interim, Republican administrations whose mantra was smaller government only made big government more corpulent. So plainly by 2008, there was no fiscal headroom left at all to plunge into bailout nation. After I left the White House in 1985, I wrote a youthful screed the triumph of politics, decrying Republican hypocrisy about the evils of deficit finance. But I had also tried to accomplish something more constructive, 
to systematically call the role of the spending cuts not made by Ronald Reagan, and thereby document that almost nobody was willing to challenge the core components that comprise big government. Thus, the giant social insurance programs of Medicare and Social Security had barely been scratched. Means-tested entitlements had been modestly reformed, but had saved only small change, because there weren't so many welfare queens after all. Farm subsidies and veterans' benefits had not been cut because these were GOP constituencies, and the Education Department had emerged standing tall because middle-class families demanded their student loans and grants. In all, Ronald Reagan had left the welfare state barely one-half of one percent of GDP smaller than Jimmy Carter's, and added a massive structural deficit to boot. But that was 25 years ago, and whatever...